1: and, you know, always are an amazing host.
0: We chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh.
1: I'm Uh. feeling sick. Uh
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Welcome to another episode of Words and Nerds podcast, where we bring literary goodness straight to your ears. Joining me today is my favourite, some might say only, co-host, author and illustrator, Adrian J. Beck.
1: Thank you, thank you for that uh, rousing uh, introduction, Danny. Uh, you thought it's it was a compliment,
0: it was a backhanded compliment. <laughs> uh,
1: no, I'm very excited to be here because one of my absolute favourites is joining us on this pod tonight, you or today, joined. or this morning.
0: You only join when it's your favourites now,
1: Adrian, That's you just, right. you
0: check the list, you like, I love that person I'm coming on, and I was like, okay. That's
1: right. So, if you're ever interviewed by Danny and I'm not there. <laughs> Don't read anything. You do it.
0: <laughs> He's just busy. Just, He's just busy just that
1: night. A, a very active social life. He's, but we I'm are getting to beard. one of my absolute favourites. Well, this, this, this person is just right up the top. Okay, just you know, she's like one of the Spice Girls to me.
2: <laughs> which, <laughs> which, <one>? which
0: which which <laughs> one? Which Spice Girl? Uh, she, she
1: is posh Spice. She's oh. as far as I'm concerned. She's posh spice of yeah. the Australian children's Kidlit World and uh, her name is none other than
2: Emily Gale. Yes. Thank you so much. I Emily. am very pretty.
0: Yeah, would you um, would you pitch yourself
2: sorry, as not, posh? Uh, no, not at all. I'm not posh, I'm just English and I'd say Australian ginger spice for
0: you.
1: Ginger spice?
2: Yeah. Ginger. Oh, is that you, Adrian? <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's me. Yeah, come on. <laughs> That's that's my role. Emily Gale, what a superstar. She's worked in the children's book industry for over 25 years (gasps) in various roles. She's been an in-house editor, a consultant to a literary agent. She's been a children's book buyer. She judges awards. She's reviewed stuff. She's a freelance manuscript assessor. And she's been a write in residence at a high school library. What hasn't Emily done? I'll tell you what she has done. She's written some great books. Girl Aloud, Still My Sunshine, I Am Out With Lanterns, The Other Side of Summer. (laughs) And, of course, the Aussie STEM Stars. Books and Eliza Booms diary, and I tell you what, elsewhere girls, who could forget that with Nova Wheatman and <laughs> uh, the latest and greatest, the Goodbye Year. What? Hey, that was something, show Oh,
2: that was amazing, Adrian. Thank you
1: so much. <laughs> no worries. I, I didn't have. I had no idea that you. I knew you'd done lots and lots of stuff, but you've done so much stuff. It's outstanding.
2: Well. The thing is, I like to do a lot of things but not for a very long time.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Yes.
2: Future employers out there. If <laughs> you didn't hear that. So and halfway I, through the podcast, Emily might just go. <laughs> no. But I if I stay anywhere longer than a year, that is a really good sign. But I don't <laughs> often like to do things for just a year and then go, Okay, that's enough of that. Let's do something else.
1: <laughs> that's very interesting. So I love do that. you like go to do you go to like the um the teppanyaki sort of restaurants, and uh, and you know, sort of just just pick a little bit of this and a little bit of that, or is it is does it does it sort of permeate through every aspect of your being?
2: I think I'm very non-committal in some areas of life and very committal in others. Interesting. Yeah, this is now not about <laughs> the
0: book. This is about Emily and the psychology of um, <laughs> Emily and
2: yeah. No, but. It- I think in the book industry, once you start seeing things from different angles, you sort of want to keep adding the angles. Mm. So like obviously I did start as an editor um, and then worked for an agent. And then I was like, oh, this is this is new. What else mm. can I do? And then working in a bookshop that was just completely changed my perspective of everything. Um, yeah. So then it seemed like that a logical next step was a school library, like actually get to work with the kids and. Um, Right in a school. Yeah.
1: Wow. So, well, we're going to come at you from all angles this evening because okay. uh, you know all the angles. I'm going to, I'm going to circle back to the uh, working in a bookstore, how that changed everything. But Danny, you always start with a particular question and far be it from me to ruin such a successful formula.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Adrian. Thank you so much. Emily, we just like to start the goodbye year. Give us an elevator pitch.
2: Oh, not elevate. I already had to sell this t- book to the publisher with an. Well, now you've got to do it again. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> uh, the goodbye year spans January 2020 to December 2020, so it's like my 2020 time capsule. Mm. Um, but what it's very really, Yeah, and it is set in Melbourne as well. Mm. But it's really about what happens to this year six student in between all of those lockdowns and all of the different things that we faced um, that year when we were coming to terms with COVID. It's about what she does in between those terrible times, how she has an adventure despite the fact that it was such a, um, a sort of catastrophic year in many ways. She still manages to have a really amazing year six. So that's really what the the gist of the book is. It's a
0: good elevator pitch. And I like it was there. I like the time capsule idea. I think that's cool.
2: Yeah, well, I was very hesitant um, to write about 2020, as I think a mm. lot of writers were. And there were lots of writers who were very vocal about never never going near that, absolutely not going to touch that, no mm. way. My book will just exist in a time where we didn't have um, COVID. So Um, yeah, I was hesitant because I thought maybe that's what everyone thinks. Maybe that's how everyone feels. And, um, is this just a terrible idea of mine? Um, but during 2021, I thought, I think people are ready to maybe think about what that was like. And as long as I don't make it an incredibly sad, depressing book, that's Hmm. just about COVID. I think it could be a really interesting framework.
1: Yeah. Mm. So, So do you think kids, in particular, they want to unpack that heck of a year?
2: Well, I mean, if we're thinking about kids of around sort of nine to twelve, like a quarter of their life really is COVID.
1: Mm.
2: They're probably not going to remember what it's like not to live with COVID. Yeah. Um, And I can really understand why a lot of adults, um, you know, feel nostalgic for the time before COVID and really don't want to necessarily um, escape into a novel that also reminds you of that time. Um, But I really think children deserve to have these markers of, you know, you've just been part of something really incredible in history, like incredible in a scary way, but you were part of that. Just like children are part of wars or, you know, that they're part of all our history. And so I think to write their stories is really important.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um and poor old Harper, she gets uh, she, she she has to live with a grand a grandma she barely knows and it's fair to say her grand's uh, fairly quirky as well. Was it important to um to put Harper in sort of like a fish out of water situation?
2: Yes. I mean, obviously I did want to draw on what was um what was special and what was hard for that year to me personally, because we all have our different versions of what was the worst thing about 2020. And there's no universal story. Like there's no point thinking you're going to write the universal story of COVID. It was different all around the world and it was different in every house. So I really wanted to use what was the worst thing for me, which was being separated from my parents, which obviously I am all the time because they're in London and I'm here, Mm. but it was like, you know, my worst nightmare was not being able to reach them Mm -hmm. and then that nightmare came true. So I really wanted to sort of tap into that quite raw emotion. What would that be like if you were a child separated from um, your parents at a time like that? And so I wanted to give Harper a very strong character to live with. Someone who would really make an impression on her life, who would feel like quite a sturdy, different sort of person to get to know Um, in that little flat that they share um, for all those months. Um, And I also, I had a very quirky grandmother. (laughs) I love that. Um, She was very out there. I mean, she was out there in a way that was probably not like Lolly, who, you know, she's the grandmother in the goodbye year. You know, she just drinks a lot of tea. She has the occasional beer, um, but really she's, you know, quite, quite a good grandmother, quite a good carer. Um, mine was a bit more volatile than that but so fun like I there was nothing I loved more than going to stay with her and not because she made me crumpets but because she was hilarious Um, and just not really like that archetypal grandmother who makes tea Mm. just you know she was really quite an extraordinary party sort of granny
0: oh I like (laughs) that
1: we all know party granny
0: yeah I want (laughs) to hear more stories about party granny
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah I mean and she was also quite a tricky character you know people loved her and and thought she was so funny and you always wanted to be around her but then there was quite a sort of darker side to her as well and I always I thought that was so interesting growing up um like getting to know my grandmother as a person Mm. not just as a role you know yeah a grand.
0: I find that fascinating too because you always meet your grandparents at a particular age you never actually know them as that whole person when mm. you know them at a particular age I find that fascinating when you start to find out the real person
2: yeah mm. and, we, and we go through that stage with our parents as well mm, yeah like, and especially when you get to sort of 12 13 um and you realize actually your parents are you know flawed and that they've had histories that you were not part of. And, or you know, they're really complicated. And you sort of get to know that more and more through your teen years. Um, and, yeah, I just think that's a really um, interesting part of your life at that, at that time is, is mm. getting to know those sort of role models on a different level.
0: Mm. Yeah. I like how you said Absolutely. getting to know the person rather than the role they play. I like that idea. Yeah,
2: yeah, and we all have such different parents, grandparents, you know, all these people who influence our lives, and um, yeah. So I just wanted to be a bit playful with with that grandmother character
1: as well. Yeah, <laughs> I loved I love Lolly, um, but I also loved Harper because, uh, she, like these days, and this wasn't this might have just been a comment on my school, but these days there's all sorts of captains that you can be. Back when I was a kid you were the school captain and maybe you were the footy captain or the netball captain and that was it right yeah there's so many captains you can be these days and good old harper is the library captain (laughs) now i i feel like this was a dream role this was a little bit of projection from one emily posh by scale here (laughs) um (laughs) were were you the library captain or did that not exist and would you have made a great library captain
2: oh they did not exist in my day. Um, <laughs> no, there were no captains of anything. Um, I probably would have been one because I was quite good at school. I had like an inner rebel, but I did not let her out very often. Do you let her out um, now? Um, more so, more nice. so, definitely, but still not enough. okay. Capital, very we'll, have that, think, we'll have to
0: work on that, I think, Emily. you will have to work on releasing <laughs> yeah. that inner rebel. Yeah.
1: She releases a bit of rebelliousness on Twitter.
2: Actually, yes, I do. I do, I am yeah, I do. I'm quite outspoken on Twitter and I enjoy that. I do
1: sometimes <laughs> crawl
2: under the covers just after I've said something a bit. Well, we enjoy
0: it too, just so we're clear. Yeah.
1: So, Emily, uh, did you, were you a library monitor or, I mean, obviously, I know that you did some write-in-residence with the library. Um, Where did the idea of um, incorporating the library captain thing come from?
2: Well, my children went to a lovely primary school that had a really gorgeous library um, with no librarian in it. Ah. And so I tried to convince the school to get a librarian um but they were suffering a lot of uh they didn't have enough funds it was a public school and in victoria there is no legislation to compel a school to hire a librarian Mm. and as the years went on um i would look through the windows of the library and think this could be such a a more vibrant place than it is um Mm. often would look quite messy and uncared for and i In my son's last year, so my youngest child's last year, I decided that I was sort of going to be the librarian.
1: Um, (laughs) You just decided. I
2: decided. Well, (laughs) I I, I kept trying to persuade the school to hire someone qualified. They kept saying they wouldn't. And so I said, right, well, I'll give you one one day a week for a year or I think it was 18 months actually. so, yeah, so I sort of did that with a with another friend of mine as well. She helped me out. And she was very good at the systems and, um, like, categorising things and, like, really that side of librarianship. She was great at that. And then I was more of the let's black out the windows, not let the children see in and put something really amazing in here so that when they next come in the library, it's really special. <laughs> so... Um, Yeah, I just had such an amazing year, year and a half doing that Um, and there was a library captain at that school and I kind of felt like, oh, I'm not really sure what you have to do because the library is closed (laughs) all the time. Oh, goodness. (laughs) Um, So you're the captain of something with so much potential Mm. but which is not being used to its full potential. So that's Mm. where that sort of read came from, that Harper would be the library captain, she would be so excited to have that role because she is a reader. Um, And but then gradually she comes to realise that no one really respects that role.
1: Hmm. Yeah,
2: the captain of a locked room.
1: Yeah, gosh, it's uh, it's it's so sad. But but I think the takeaway is that if uh, if your school, if you're a parent, and your, your school doesn't have a librarian, you just barge on in there and call yourself the librarian, and happy days. It's uh, <laughs> all it takes.
2: If any librarians listening, I just want to say I didn't actually call myself a librarian, and I would never call myself a librarian. Um, yeah, do you call um, yourself a librarian I, captain? I, I <laughs> do, <laughs> many, yeah, I, What did I, you I call yourself? Jobs. Oh, uh, I would just call myself a parent helper.
1: Okay. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, that sounds, that <laughs> sounds much more appropriate. <laughs>
2: <Yes>. <laughs> You've got to be careful, though, because obviously these are, you know, they're roles that people train for for years. Absolutely. Yeah. Say, oh, well, I could just be an ordinary member of the public, just walk in and do it. Um, I was just trying to do as many of the tasks as I could as a non-qualified person. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Very interesting. I love it. Now, the book, I felt it was like about expectation versus reality. So you have this, you know, the goodbye year and you have all these expectations. It's going to be amazing, probably like we did of 2020. And then we realized how good 2019 was. Um, mm-hmm. So where did this idea come from, particularly as a, as a kid, managing those expectations? Because I guess
2: that just keeps happening to us throughout life, right? Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm so bad at managing my expectations. I have to say I'm just I build things up so much. I get (laughs) very overexcited. Um, And then, so I often have that sense of, oh, it's not (laughs) really what I thought it was going to be. Um, Yeah, and and I, I sort of hate, The phrase manage your expectations because I feel like it's almost like saying don't dream big yeah don't want these things and you know just just prepare yourself for everything to be rubbish and then it'll be fine and that's not what it is it's like you know dream as big as you want to but when something like this happens you just got to know how to shift it and say okay well I'm not going to be able to do this but maybe I could do this. So mm. I guess it's that sort of be, be sort of creative with your expectations. I just think be, you're right, be excited about but, everything.
0: Yeah. Why not?
2: Don't give up. Like we can't, you know, the worst thing to do would be to give up. That's and right. that's how we have kind of got through these difficult years is, is by not giving up and by thinking this will get better. It yeah. will get better.
1: There were a couple of times I felt like giving up, though Emily. And uh, if it wasn't for the uh, love and support of Danny, I would have uh, not made my way through the the Goodbye Year. Um, thankfully, wow. she's she's now, she's just been such a support to me. Um, now Emily. <laughs> now this is
0: going to be a psychoanalysis of Adrian. Now it won't take very long. Yeah, that's right.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. Now, Emily, the Goodbye Year. The good. The, tell us about your goodbye year. Did you have some? Uh, some. Do you remember some vivid highlights from that last year of primary school? And uh, can you talk us through maybe something that, uh, let's say, this a bit of a highlight rather than a low light, unless a low light comes to mind.
2: Oh unless gosh, it's funnier, I choose the funnier option. <laughs> well, I think my whole school was just quite, you know, interesting. If you haven't been to this kind of school, because I went to a convent quite a strict Catholic convent for the nuns. So there were nuns everywhere, you know, in the full garb. Wow. Um, It was very strict. They were absolutely terrifying.
0: Does this explain your inner rebel and you Mm. not
2: letting her out? Yes. I'm feeling like certainly
1: explains why you're dressed as a nun. (laughs)
2: Funny enough, I was once che- in a changing room with my daughter like years and years ago trying on a thing and she looked at me and went, oh, no, mum, you look like a nun. She was only about seven, but she was. <sighs> up. Anyway, um, no, so it was very strict school. I was smacked on my first day of school. Mm. Um, was that in a rebel coming out, wasn't it? Well, actually, I went to the loo during story time on my first day thinking, don't interrupt the story because no one likes that. Just go to the loo and then come sneak back in. Mm -hmm. But that was very bad. So I did get my my first smack at school. Wow. Wow. Very rebellious going to the bathroom. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember your graduation song? What what was your graduation song?
2: Oh, no, there was no song. Wasn't it? It was a convent. We just sang hymns constantly. Yeah. We always in church. Yeah. Always singing about God. It was just absolutely relentless. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you enjoyed your time there, then? <laughs> well, in that twisted way that a lot of, obviously, I am I am now lapsed Catholic. Um, in that way that a lot of ex Catholics do weirdly look back and quite enjoy the stories. Mm. And quite like bringing them out, you know, at dinner, or you know, just for a bit of shock value, because the nuns were quite hands-on. Like, if I had a friend who kept getting out of her chair, um, she just liked to wander around the classroom. Um, so the nun decided to sellotape her her ankles to Gosh. the chair and her <laughs> wrists to the desk.
1: Right. So
2: that was the kind of thing that was going on right. when I was, you know, growing up and you know thinking. I had all these rebellious ideas, but then I would see a nun tape my friend to her chair and hmm. think maybe I shouldn't do that. Mm. Wow. This is like,
0: this, a, this has, has a, to form. Really worked. <laughs> this has to form a next novel, Emily. I'm
1: intrigued. Yeah. Have you have you delved into that for some of your work? No, I haven't. I this really haven't. This is like the confession episode. Yes,
2: yes. I uh, that Catholics, though, we've all got, like, of a certain age, we've all got stories of, you know, being educated by nuns and, you know, all those sorts of... I like how you said educated, not cello taped. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Well, it was an education of sorts.
1: <laughs> well... Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you've been able to move past it clearly, and you're moving on. That's terrific. Hey, I wanted to circle back to something that we said at the intro, um, and then we're going to we're still going to delve into the goodbye year a little bit further. But um, this has been gnawing at me. You've learned all about the industry from so many different angles, including the book selling, which you said was something that really blew your mind and changed everything. How did it change everything, and what did you learn?
2: Um, well, I think it really made me decide exactly who I wanted to write for. Um, right. That those years at readings, when I came, and I did deviate slightly after that, but if that was a mistake, I didn't mean to. But uh, now I'm back. Um, no, I I remembered when I was a bookseller and when I was working all those busy Saturdays at readings and um, all of those times that I really became a reader, like a reader for life between like 10 and 14. Mm. Like that is when it just got to me in such a way that I knew I wanted my whole life to be about books. Um, and um, so when I left or well, during the time I was working there, I thought that's who I'm gonna write for now. That, that's, that's it. I'm not gonna do any more young adult books. I'm not gonna write for teenagers anymore. Um, But then I accidentally did write one more. (laughs) Not that I accidentally (laughs) wrote a whole (laughs) novel. (laughs) Yeah, I did accidentally write the hardest novel I've ever written, actually, which is I Am Out With Lanterns. Um, But it was because I'd finished The Other Side of Summer um, and I wasn't quite finished with a couple of the characters in there. And then Fiona Wood, brilliant young adult writer, said, oh, have you been thinking about those characters? Because I've also been thinking about those characters. And I wonder if you're gonna write a story and I'd already been thinking of that. So once she said it, because she is three times CBCA winner and so brilliant. uh, Once she said it, I thought, well, if the owner of Wood thinks this is a good idea, I'm gonna do it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and then it turned out to be such a hard book because I do like to make my life quite difficult. But um, I am glad I did it. But then as soon as I'd finished it, I felt right back to, back to middle, back to that 10 to 14 age group.
1: And was that because you saw a lot of uh, kids of that age really getting excited when they'd come into the store? And is that, is that yeah. what ignited that love for that age group?
2: Yeah, just seeing that absolute wide-eyed enthusiasm, um, the way they would just so faithfully wait for the next book in a series, Um the way they talked about books, it was just with this such joy that sometimes can sort of clam up a little bit as you get older and Mm. into the teenage years. Um, And I just felt so connected to that kind of reader. Um, Mm. And it really made me remember all the books from those years that just never left me. Um, And that feeling um, of like, you know, spending a whole Saturday reading a book and then looking up, at your bedroom and just thinking I can't believe I still live here I, I really felt so in that book that I thought you know I was the book um yeah just just those kids they're just like they're just such good readers because they're so clever and they can talk so well about the book and you don't have to explain anything to them they, they get it um but they also still have that innocence and enthusiasm mm. From... Mm. I think you're right you're actually
1: yeah, making me wish I, I was that. ten or fourteen. Well, uh,
2: we do say that's
0: sort of where your your personality sits, over. Yeah, that's
1: true. That's true. <laughs> what about hey, Emily? Any other angles that you you know you've you've got? We talked about so many angles that you've been on. What else did did you learn from another role within the industry? Another takeaway that um, defined you as a person in this life?
2: Defined me. I think I probably wouldn't go back to working for an agent. Um, actually, because I, in the end, found it really depressing, rejecting people all the time. Um, like at first you, you know, you're whipping through the manuscripts and going, no, yes, and most mainly no. Um, (laughs) and you reject people and, you know, that's just part of it, you know, Mm. you just have to get into it. After a few months of that, I just felt so terrible because... Mm. There wasn't enough time to say, look, this is why, because there were so many manuscripts. I didn't have time to tell every person exactly why I was rejecting them. Yeah. And, but I know what it's like when you get that rejection. I've been rejected many times. Um, And I I just know, well, in my day, you know, you didn't get an email, you got the manuscript thudding through your your letterbox. (laughs) um and you know you you just see it and think oh it's back Mm. um you know as they returned it as you know that's the rejection um yeah it just it got me down I just didn't want to do that anymore and so I decided what I could do instead is um do manuscript assessments so do a really deep dive on someone's book um and try and Try and help them rather than just saying no, no, mm. no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it does make you think. Um, just really the volume of people who are trying to, yeah. you know, get a foot in the door. Yeah. Um, and that definitely made me think. God, I'm lucky. You know, don't take this for granted. There are so many people who would like to be in this position. Um. You know, and I suppose it comes back to that manager expectations thing as well of just think, "I'm lucky that I got a contract, not and now I want this and now I want this, and you know if I don't get this, then' it's, you know I'm a failure, but just God, you got another contract Bloody yeah. that, no? mm.
0: I think that's Absolutely. what it is about this industry is just celebrating every little milestone because you don't know when the next one's coming, <laughs> so celebrate the one you've got right now
2: any time for for most of us like obviously there's some people who have meteoric success the minute they're out the gate um they probably live on you know on tenterhooks as well thinking how long can this last mm. um I, feel somebody, sorry for I, don't I don't know I felt like I've had you know <laughs> some really good things happen but not you know not not famous I'm not award-winning but I You do... are definitely
0: famous, Emily Gale. You're ridiculous.
2: <laughs> and,
1: you, and I'd say you're award-winning.
2: I haven't won a single award. Well, She's pretty winning,
1: I reckon. I, I tell people you have.
2: <laughs> you know, no, it's actually so embarrassing because sometimes when people are trying to, like, sell an event
1: or oh, yeah.
2: pick you up, they'll be like... That, an award-winning author and i always want to just like say no i, I haven't won anything don't call people back yeah. <laughs> should oh, we just I'm... give you an, a, an award so
1: yes let's give you an honorary it. award
2: yeah we'll just give you an honorary get...
1: i'm going to call the nuns and i'm going to get them to give you some sort of uh, <laughs> some sort of award from the nun school
2: i actually did win quite a few awards at school Adrian, oh, So there you nice. go she packed the, the time time. She, she packed the rebel
0: she packed the rebel away and she won all the awards yep.
2: You did, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, un- it, was quite, it was quite posh, actually. Speaking of posh spice, mm. um, they had these silver cups, and, you, and your name was engraved on it, or they had mm. a and that sort of thing. Um, but that is the last time I won awards.
1: What was the award for?
2: Mm, there were a few, Adrian. Of course, um, there were. So yeah. I won type. I, I won the cup for French. Oh. French. Um, oh, yo play. And I also, <laughs> I, I won it for English.
1: Huh? Oh, yes, good. French. That makes sense, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, it does. Because you're
1: speaking English now.
2: Yes, I'm, I'm very, It's English. very observant, Adrian. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, when you were rejecting all these, um, all these manuscripts, and you're just basically saying no, 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 um, were you learning as well? Was did that did that shape how you approach your writing? Like, has um, have all these experiences changed how you do the thing you do?
2: I'm sh- yeah, I'm sure they all have. Um, the thing it really solidified for me is that so much of it comes down to voice, and so much of that is subjective. Mm. So you really are sort of trying to get that lucky star um, with the person that you are you're sending it to, because to someone that voice will ring true. Mm. But maybe not that person that day. Yeah, so you really do appreciate that all the stars have to align. Yeah, that um, you might be being read by an editorial assistant um, who's just you know been given the great big slush pile. Go through this, send me something you think is special. Well, now you're reliant on that one person. To pass your chapters onto the next stage, and then the next stage, and then the acquisitions. You know, so. Um, yeah, so just just the importance of voice, but and just and that's just something that you have to keep working on and that you have to keep paying attention to with every book as well.
1: Yeah, mm.
2: Mm. Good it's advice, really...
1: good tips. It's
2: so interesting of voice. Isn't it?
0: But it just yeah. is such a, a tough industry and the more you talk to people and hear their stories about where they've worked or where they're being published right now, you just realise how tough an industry it is and how difficult it is to always get that next contract. So you're right. Celebrate everything and do that and don't yeah. manage your expectations. Why would you do that? Just oh, be oh, dream, dream, big. optimistic about yeah. everything.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah
1: definitely. <laughs> is there going to be a sequel to The Goodbye Year? Are we going to have like The Hello Year? <laughs>
2: oh, dear. do you know well I actually would love to write like a year seven
1: yes book.
2: um there, there aren't enough of them and I was talking to Nova Wheatman about this um, I've heard of her wait, have you hi yeah. Nova <laughs> actually it's quite weird doing book things without Nova I've oh, really forgot we should have just invited that. her and she could have sat here <laughs> yeah. and looked at us
1: much better though much better
2: well she <laughs> she, did, she came to one of my book signings when I went I went to visit the younger son and she drove me there because I can't drive um and then she came in and like and she signed some elsewhere girls as well it was really nice cuz when you've done something with a co-writer or and I imagine it's the same when you go around with an illustrator doing events and you know um celebrating a book to then go back to just doing it by yourself
1: mm.
2: It's lonely, a bit yeah. lonely, and you don't have that support, um, or that confidence. Maybe like I think that with elsewhere girls, um, that's the only time I have felt really confident about a book to the extent where I didn't, I didn't worry about what the reviews would be. I didn't. I just didn't worry about it. I just thought I got to write a book with my friend. We think it's good. There you go. Mm. And That is just not what I think about any of my other books. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've really gone off track and just j- track and just talked about Nova. Hi, no, oh, um, we
0: we love sorry. tangents. <laughs> we'll just let you run with that tangent. We like tangents. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, no, but what we were what we were, we were talking about was um, that there's not enough Year Seven books. Mm. Um, so what what is it like to walk through those high school gates for the first time and be small again? when you've mm. just been the biggest in the school. Um, and coming together so with all those
0: other primary schools, you know, that's what freaked me out in New Seven. I was like, who are all of you?
2: Yes. And, you you know, maybe you go with one friend or five friends or maybe you know quite a lot of people, but maybe you didn't really gel with them in primary school and now you've got like mm, maybe a thousand people in front mm. of you that, you know, who are they? And some of them look like adults and have beards and you know well this is <laughs> i'm just going off what my daughter said she goes to um like an inner city uh public school where you can just wear whatever you like and there's there's no uniform and they're very sort of expressive and what they wear um and she was absolutely tiny when she walked through those gates she was mm. like the smallest year seven you could possibly imagine her backpack was bigger than her she looked like a turtle <laughs> um and when she came home, she said, I can't tell who is in year 12 and who's a teacher. Oh, wow. Because just... <laughs> the teachers are so young. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, she, it was quite intimidating mm, for her. It's um, interesting. And so, yeah, I feel like it would be, I'd love to write something really funny about year seven. Mm, yeah. All those funny little things they have, which often they don't tell you until years down the line. Yeah. Like with my kids, um... Because of Healthy Harold, you know, the giraffe at primary <laughs> school who gives you all the good life advice, mm-hmm. they both really had this picture in their minds of high school being a place where you would be offered drugs on every corner. <laughs> um, and your job in high school was to just refuse the drugs. And so like, that you remember would be the giraffe most- and say no. Yeah most of your time would be spent refusing drugs and <laughs> you might do education as well but that was the like the main thing That's so funny. Um, and they were both quite surprised to find that people weren't like lurking behind the lockers <laughs> like ready to pass them something wrapped in foil like, they just really like, had this image of it being like this
0: dark fairy tale where harold has scarred be- like millions of children for generations i think
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah try we should really get him on here
1: was harold at the nuns school or no
2: oh no there was i if i told you about the health education at convent you honestly it was a whole other conversation i think (laughs) yeah Maybe maybe not for this
1: crowd. I'm not sure. <laughs> so, we can expect to see a grade seven book. Well, um, we hope to see a grade seven book. Maybe if you're not quite sure, we'll get um, Fiona Wood to whisper in your ear, Hey, what about doing a year seven book? And that'll suit idea. Deal. I like, very that. I like that. I love
2: yeah. that. Fiona and Nova both are very influential.
0: All right, get on that. Um, get them on Twitter, Adrian. And...
1: <laughs> yep. Yeah, Nova's very good at ignoring me on Twitter. I might have to get her in real life. Hey, <laughs> Emily. Yeah, are you going to do another one with Nova? Are you going to do Elsewhere Girls Two: The Return of Fanny?
2: We are currently writing a book together, which Ooh. is um, it is another time slip, um, but it's got a different structure to it, and it is about a different um, person in history Ooh. meeting a modern girl. So it's cut. So it's the same in the sense that it's one modern girl and one girl from history, um, and they're going to. Experience each other's times, um, but that's all I can tell you. That's mm. very exciting.
1: It is very exciting. Words of Nerd's exclusive.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, Emily, this question ask all the guests on the on the, on the podcast. So I hope you're ready. Why do you write, or why do you keep writing?
2: Um, look, it's definitely an addiction at this point. I I really can't. I actually can't imagine how I would feel about myself or life if I wasn't writing. So I'm so far down that road now that it's actually very difficult to articulate (laughs) why I do it. But there is nothing like, for me, that moment of being so deeply into a book that you forget that you're writing. Um, And just for those moments, it is worth everything that you have to go through, that is less pleasant. Mm. <laughs> um, and there are lots, there there are lots of knocks um, to your ego. You know, you got to sort of build up a bit of a thick skin, um, and it's that's very up and down. But oh, just for those moments when it works, it, I think it's
0: worth. Yeah, it. there's magic in it, isn't it? I love that. Well, this conversation has gone on many tangents, which I've enjoyed thoroughly we've gone from convents to writing to year seven to nova to best friends to posh spice to a bit of you know psychoanalysis of both emily and adrian think i got out of this one unscathed but it's been it's been a very very fun and interesting conversation so thank you so much um for all of that and you know for writing that book we love your work emily we love you and so that's why adrian was very eager to get in on this one
2: Thank you, both of you. God, it's just its such a privilege to come on and speak to you again. I loved our last chat and just so lovely of you to host me again. Thank
1: you. Oh, congratulations on the goodbye year. I loved it. And mm-hmm. uh, may there be many more to come. Uh, hopefully one set in a convent at some stage. That'd be- <laughs>
2: I might do that. And congratulations to both of you on your new books as well. It's just And it's so amazing that you find the time to do this as well as, you know, being creators yourself. It's, it's such you. a lot of work. Um, and really this industry does rely on people like you doing it. I mean, yeah, it just wouldn't work otherwise. It's
0: very kind. I was thinking about you saying, you know, when you travel around with the illustrator and Adrian is the illustrator and author for this. So he's going to be traveling around with himself. Um, yep. Still lonely.
2: <laughs> but being two people, I have you sort of split the personality so that Haven't, you actually- Have you
0: not yes. noticed this, Emily?
2: <laughs> yes.
1: I'm going to wear one of those, you know, tuxedos on the right and ball gown on the left sort of uh, setups and I'm going to sort of twirl around so that people oh. think that it's people dancing through the bookshop. That's, I hope, that's you, do that. I hope you do
2: I hope you do Yes. Half bearded and then yes. half not. And yes. half
0: shaved so, head, I think.
2: Yeah.
1: Let's really? go the
0: whole hog. <laughs> I just don't like okay. to do anything halfway, so yeah. let's just go the whole hog. <laughs>
1: All right. Another Deal.
0: tangent. But thank you so much, Emily. <laughs> thank you.
2: We you love your work.
0: Thank you. Thank
1: Bye. you Bye. Bye. Bye.